Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. Two weeks from this Sunday, I'm going to be preaching this same sermon. It will be augmented with some visuals here that I've put together just last minute, grabbing people. They don't have any idea what they're doing or why. Two weeks from today, I'm praying that God will lay on your hearts, everyone here, one person that needs to come with you. I'm praying that God will place that person on your heart. For those of you that have been here for years, I don't get up and pound you about invite someone, bring someone. Although I think that's wonderful. I happen to be of the philosophy that the magnetic fragrance of how we live should be a natural attractor where people say, there's something different about you. Can you tell me what that is? Let me follow you to the fountain from which you drink. And of course, church worship is just one of those points of encounter with God. But I'm soliciting you and this week and next week hard, two weeks. You're going to begin to know the people you need to invite before this study is over this morning. Okay? But I'm going to come back and I'm going to say that very thing at the close. We have been in a series of emphasis around here regarding the word opinion. <laughs> And where that comes from. And so there was this list of definitions that I distribute, about 20 words. And the reason we chose the term opinion to sort of be the, the container that holds these ideas of grace, mercy, forgiveness, confession, judgment. Opinion is just, some, if I can make a little thing, I, I really need to get a, a, a container and put a word on it so you can see it, that holds all of this stuff. L- let me give you the example. They are, that are really, I believe, theologically and biblically spot on. Uh, confession is from a term homologeo that means to say the same thing as. So confession is the point at which I embrace God's opinion of me in my life above me and my, uh, my opinion of my life. You get that? That's what confession is. The point of saying, okay, well, God, I'm reading your word. By the way, God's word is his opinion. That was the message that... I had prepared for this morning from Mark chapter 4, <clears throat> and I really believe of, of, of if I've ever had a divine interruption about what I was to speak and to preach, it happened early this morning. And things in Scripture I'd just never seen before, and we're about to go through it, and I want to say again, two weeks from now, I'm going to preach the same message, and I'm praying that every person that's here will find one person. <laughs> God will put them in your path, and you're going to know that person in, okay? Now, I don't have time to build a further case. You can go back and listen to the podcast. Where I got the word opinion as a container is that opinion is at the root meaning of the word for glory. Glory being the radiant and essence of a thing. So where it's the glory of God, we think of this shining radiance of God, and that would be true. But glory, in the root sense of the word, means an opinion. So one of our working definitions for glory, please watch this. See, 2 Corinthians 3 said, it is the goal and work of God by the Holy Spirit to transform you and me by standing in front of the mirror of God's word, if you will, being transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory. What does that mean? It means the image of God becomes more visible through me and the image of me becomes less visible around me. So then, at the root of this meaning, doxa, is an opinion. That is the the root and original meaning. 
So glory is this. Joe, I think you'll like this. Glory is the point at which God deposits his opinion of himself in me. Now that, that guys, that will radiate, no pun intended, all over your soul. Where God begins to deposit incrementally his opinion of himself in me that begins to trump who I am and what happens. The original purpose for which I was created and made begins to come to the surface. Now, we've got a lot to talk about in the weeks to come. One of the working definitions that I put for one of the terms, forgiveness or unforgiveness more pointedly, is the state of being where God's opinion is not enough. Now, that requires me to unpack that, and that's exactly what I'm going to do here today. It is the state of being where God's opinion is not enough. I need one more opinion in addition to God's. And what happens when I do that is that I, I squelch and squash the ability of God's opinion to take predominance in my life. Remember what I mean by, what do you mean by God's opinion? I mean the word of God about Tom, the word of God about you, that this Bible, the word of God we hold is meant to be written on my heart, not dust jacketed on my coffee table. Everybody got that? Okay. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Now, just a few moments ago, I um, in promptu fashion, I, I read John thirteen thirty five, and I had you read the opening verse about who was talking. Can you recall with me? Because I don't think what I just said is on the recording this morning. So can you recall with me this morning who was speaking in John thirteen thirty five? Who was it? It was Peter. There is no, please notice Matthew 18. You have the same guy talking, pay close attention, and it had never really gotten my attention until this morning. Then Peter came and said to him, he's speaking to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times in teaching in the past. By the way, there's no topic other than worship that I teach on, I think, for me, more exhaustively than this, because unforgiveness is directly tied into worship. Unforgiveness is needing something besides God to make me whole. Worship is coming to God and saying, God, I need only you and want only you to shape my worth. The word worship, Old English, weirth skypen amazingly means to shape the worth of a thing. And I believe that wonderful English term informs the biblical languages, be it Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. I believe it just becomes, again, another great container. At the end of the day, worship is what tells me what I'm worth. So what voice is speaking to you? That is why we need to know the word of God. Because we need his opinion on what I'm worth and what life is about. <clears throat> then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I uh, sin against, uh, for, uh, my, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? That word me means to cancel a debt. Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times. And by the way, in the previous teaching, um, help me remember to get it online. I, I, I will make sure that it's somewhere uh, available this week so you can just go there and see what's behind these phrases, okay? 
And there's a reason why he says that. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven and Jesus uh, responds. For this reason, let me back up. I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. That does not mean 490, okay? Because I know some of you have been keeping track. And trust me, after being married, by the way, on Friday, we were married 39 years. Isn't that an amazing thing? And I'm confident that after about 39 minutes, if not 39 days, she had already gone through 490 times of forgiving me, okay? So he's not talking about a number. It is sort of hyperbole. If he had said tens, he had said how many? Ten times? He would have said a million times ten. So it's just that type of language. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven, that is where God rules, the kingdom that the God's order may be compared to a king. So he's saying that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So we've already built built the bridge that he's pretty much talking about God. Everybody got that? The king in this story now represents God. A king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents, and it's this incredible, insane amount of money, was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. There is so much tied up in those words about the selling of the soul and all of that. But listen to me. You can say, well, that was rude. This was a common practice of the day for debt collection, debt debt satisfaction. So it's not that the Lord has decided to be cruel, mean guy. It's just the common practice of the day. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself. Does everyone see the words there on the screen? Prostrated himself. That word is the word proskuneo. Most other places in scripture, it's translated, guess, worship. Because to fall down is essentially to worship. That grabbed me this morning. He falls down and he worships him. But I want you to get this because I never saw this and it pierced my heart this morning. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, or we can say worship, just hang with me. Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Let's keep reading. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion Released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. That was like 20 bucks. Over and against a gazillion dollar debt that he had just been liberated from. Owed him a hundred denarii, seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling And he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves, that's his friends, saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. They ratted him out. And then summoning him, the Lord called, this great Lord calls him in and says, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Now watch the language that shifts here. It'll be a familiar one to those of you that have been here, especially in recent weeks. Should you not also have had what? Mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you. And the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. 
My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let's review quickly. In the back of your mind, please remember that this is Peter who has asked this question. Boy, did that come home to me today, and it will in a moment for all of us, I think. Notice in verse 33, in verse 33, should you have not also had mercy. So we know that what the king, please listen to Tom this morning closely, that what the king referred to happened earlier in the story involved mercy. So let's insert that, okay, and do a rewind. Uh, Back to verse 26, so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and had mercy on him. Now, our working definition for mercy around here is God's refusal to join me in my opinion of me above his opinion of me. And see, and you can say, well, that's just more of that sort of millennial, nice, talky-talky. No, no, it's not. See, because we, we immediately think God is always this self-help guru on the edge of our life that only speaks to us in grammar that's positively polarized. Drew, you're great. You're wonderful. You're this, you're getting, by the way, I'm about to pick on Drew and make some statements about him that I know in fact is not true. Uh, you're a sorry dog that doesn't spend time with your wife and, and, and or pray with her or your kids or live any values and you just do what you want and the job dictates your life and heart. By the way, I wish you knew this young man's testimony and decisions he made about three or four years ago to say, Work will not dominate my identity. It, it, I mean, just wish you knew. I'm thinking of this while I'm talking and saying mean things about you. Okay, so I'm God, and I know all of that stuff that you're doing that's, by your opinion, that's bad for you and an ultimate outcome. But, you know, son, I'm God, and I really don't want to talk to you about that. So I'm just here to sort of rub you on your boots and pat you on the head and say, you're just a good guy, and and my opinion of you is so much higher than you. No, the opinion of God involves confession and repentance. All those definitions I handed out to you, you're going to see them a lot more. Because if I have a high opinion of the potential that's in him, and I'm God, and I'm the only one that knows the potential, why? Because I made him, and I deposited it in him, okay? And I step up and say, hey, it's good, your opinion's good, you're such a great young man. No, I'm going to step up and say, my opinion of you is that, son, you're you're missing it out of ten, you're missing nine, And if you begin to embrace those just one at a time, your quality of life, marriage stuff, and the way that I design you, you'd begin to be transformed from glory to glory. If you would just please consider my opinion above yours for a moment. See, that's what I'm talking about. Mercy is not just showing up and picking you up like you're a two-year-old toddler and cuddling you and bouncing you on your knee, on his knee. Everybody got that? Mercy shows up in the strongest of terms and says, you know, son... I refuse to join you in work being the center of your life and that attitude you have about such and such. I won't join you in that. And you need to know why you keep hitting your head against it. That's mercy, beloved. That's mercy. Now, how does that apply to this story? Listen to me. 
Remember the great king is the Lord in this story. And he comes in, the slave comes in on the basis of this indebtedness, falls down and says, I am relating to you on the basis of my indebtedness and what that makes me in relationship to you because of this tremendous debt. And the king looks at him and says, I refuse to join you in my, in your opinion of you, rise to your feet, stand up and leave here differently than you came in. You came in relating to me on the basis of debt. You came in, listen, please, if you miss everything else, look at the person next to you, just make sure they're awake right now, okay? Because you can sleep through the rest of the sermon. They need to hear this. Please, these words or thoughts never been in my head or come out of my mouth. But when I come into God, typically... Hear me as passionately. I wish I could scream a thousand times louder. Most believers walk into church every Sunday, into life every day with an orientation that I'm relating to him on the basis of the last stupid thing I did because he watches, he sees, he knows. The interesting thing about this story is God, watch, here it comes. God does not want me worshiping him on the basis of debt and failure. And do you know, that's how most of us worship him. We come in and you say, well, shouldn't we confess? Yes, confess, mean it, get over it. Please hear me. Here's what happens. This guy never understood. He walked in worshiping him on the basis of indebtedness. And he left still worshiping him on the basis of indebtedness. How do I know that? Worshiping from a posture of debt results in me being without mercy in my life. What does that mean? See, you think it means something. Great. If mercy is the force of God's opinion pushing against my opinion, how many are thankful I'm going to keep picking on you, Drew, that mercy is here, and it doesn't just not join me. It's always doing this. Stand up, because I want you to put it on the camera. Come here and stand in the light with me, boy. Mercy is always doing this. Hey, 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 hey. Mercy, mercy is irritating. Did you know the Bible says that mercy follows me all the days of my life? Okay, so now you're going to just sort of walk in a circle. Wait, wait in a minute. And like you're going to your job, so I just want you to walk around and like you're going to a job and you're going to all those things and, and find places that you're finding me, everything I said when you were sitting over there. Okay, so you're going along. Go. And while we're doing this, keep going. It says mercy follows me all the days of my life. If I make my bed in hell, if I can, mercy follows me there and it's constantly driving me. How many have ever had a child that's walking like them? And it's like, okay, stop. Anybody ever, thank you, son. Anybody? I think we get that way with God because mercy follows me. Mercy is unrelenting. Unless I choose to worship God on the basis of my debt, then I walk out. And when we talk later, he says, he brings him back into his presence. And he says, 
I didn't give you mercy just so we could have a moment. I gave you mercy so that you would live mercy beyond this because until you live mercy, you don't know mercy. What does mercy have anything to do with anything? Forgiveness is the point at which, okay, I embrace God's opinion of me above my opinion of me. I accept that, but the proof of it, you can say, yeah, I've done that. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. Great. You're saved. But he goes back out. What happens in that result? <clears throat> okay. Worshiping from a posture of debt results from me being without mercy. But here's what I mean specifically. Listen to me. Which means I operate without the force of God's opinion in my life. When I walk away from God and I go to approach life or any other people, how do I know I'm without mercy? Because he called him back in and said, because you did not forgive, you are without mercy. Hear me. If you did not forgive, here's a, come back, son. Start walking around again. You did not forgive. So here is what is not happening. You're walking on your own. Which, by the way, is the definition of judgment I share with you. Okay, that's all for this time. Let me need you back again. Listen to me. How do we know that it walk, he walked out? Because when he had the chance to extend it, the slave, he went and found the slave. And the slave's opinion of himself was what? He fell down. He said, please have patience with me and forgive me. And he says, no. Now, I got to get this just right. All he became was a reflection of the next opinion that came to him. We got to get this. This is as big as the first one. He walked out from the great king. And instead of extending the force of mercy he had just received, which when that guy came up to him, says, my opinion of myself is that I owe you $17, which was really all about it was. And he said, but please have mercy. You reach right down and you grab and say, come on, come on, come on. We're good. We're good. I'm a son that's been set free. We're good. It's so good. And, and I want you to know that you just fell down on your face because of your opinion of you as a debtor. By the way, beloved, this speaks functionally to the nature of forgiveness because there are people here that have relationships. You're married to some people that failed 25 years ago and they still sort of relate to you like this and you allow that to stay in place. Some in this room today, you need to go home with your spouse and grab them by the face and say, long enough, I get it that you feel the weight of the violation, but we're children of mercy. I don't worship my father on the basis of debt, and we will not relate that way. That's done. That's gone. I release that. Don't do that anymore. That is not who you are. That needs to happen here today. He goes out from that moment and heap watch. Unforgiving people become dictated to by whatever opinion comes at them. I want to say it again. When this guy approached him and said, I am this debtor, all he did was relate to him on the basis of that man's opinion, not the opinion he had just received. Does everybody get that? Unforgiving people relate to my world around me by the force of the next opinion that comes at me, which renders me powerless over life. 
Unforgiving people think they have power by holding on to unforgiveness. And in fact, what this story says is, you don't have any power. He just gave him a billion dollars worth of power and he didn't know how to extend $17 worth of mercy. Why? Because it doesn't make any difference what kind of wealth is at your disposal if you still see yourself as a worshiping debtor versus a son that's been set free. Does anybody hear me? you got to hear this. I really don't know if I'm saying it well. By the way, Do you want to know why it happens in church? I've said it for years. I was talking to Pastor Matt Johnson about this about three weeks ago. And I said, have you ever wondered why we remember stuff we haven't forgiven? You know, uh, there's a place for me in my father's house. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. And we're standing here singing. And all of a sudden, we we remember. You will remember. I've polled people. I've been teaching this hard for lots of years. And they'll say, you know, that's true. You want to know why? Well, I've always said, because we're going to the source of worth and God will never not call us back in and say, you're still needing one more opinion. You don't need that opinion. The only opinion you need is mine. But Pastor Matt tips him, he says, well, Pastor, Scripture says that. I said, where? He says, Matthew 5. When he said Matthew 5, I knew right where he's going. Listen, Matthew 5. Verse 23, therefore, if you're presenting your offering, that was a reference to, then you're going to church to worship. That would be a a fair application of that. If you're presenting your offering at the altar, if you're going to church to worship, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering before the altar, go be reconciled, then come and present your offering. Now, it still doesn't say why, but why would Jesus pick that one? He didn't say, listen, on your way to Walmart... It's going to come to mind. He picks that one. He says, on your way to worship, beloved, I believe it. I believe it's already happened in this house today. Now, I got to move on from there. Two weeks from today, I'm preaching the same message. I don't know that I've done anything like that before. I mean, I preach the same messages, but I, I really feel that there's going to be something of a deliverance service where people are going to be ambushed by the unexpected. And God's going to put the people in your path you need to invite. They won't be hard to find. There's this sort of stench of mercilessness around them. You'll find them. Matter of fact, many of you here already know the person you're going to invite. Now it's on you to invite them, okay? Okay, where was I? We're not going to go to these scriptures. You just got to take my word for it because it will get way too long. I find it fascinating that it's Peter asking this question every time or this question. Peter is the guy that crashes and burns, and he enters into that failure posture. In Luke 22, the version of that one story about Peter failing, listen, Jesus says to him, Satan wants to sift you like a bucket of wheat, just pull you apart. He says, but I've prayed that you would not fail, but after you do. You've heard me talk about that. You've heard me mention that the word fail is the exact word from which we get eclipse. Eclipse blocks the light that would otherwise shine on us. Peter had not gotten over his sense of failure by the time you even get to John 21, many days after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. 
Peter goes back to fishing because he thinks he's lost his place. He goes back to a previous vocation because he thinks he's lost his place by reason of failure. As you come through that story, listen to me. Failure is still following him around. As you get to the end of the story, after Jesus reminds him that I called you three years ago, my intentions haven't changed. Do you really love me? Peter's scared to answer that because that was the whole dialogue that got him in trouble the night that Jesus was arrested. I love you more than anybody else. I'm your guy. He says, Lord, you do. He asked him three times, and there was a shame orientation. And Jesus does what the great king did. He lifts his head, and he says, and feed my sheep. I haven't changed what I called you to do or the place I intended for you to have. He does not get it. And the reason we know he does not get it is because he <clears throat> gets up. Now, I'm going to cross metaphors here. He gets up in the presence of the great king, like Matthew 18. He turns and doesn't take three steps. He looks at John and he says, what about him? People who do not understand forgiveness, people who walk in unforgiveness, I'm going to tell you something you need to hear. I've never said before. They are what about them people. They live their whole life with their own sense of divine justice. Well, what about them? They compare, they contest, they push against, well, what about them? They're jealous if anyone has more grace, more stuff, more this, more that. If something works out right for them, what about them? Or more importantly, why not me? I've done this impromptu. It's going to be done a lot better in two weeks. And I'm going to add something in two weeks that I'm not adding here today. Steve Madison. I've enlisted Steve Madison And you may think he looks like Dracula. He's the tallest person here other than Cliff. I couldn't get a hold of Cliff before. And he is wearing a cape that's otherwise known as a tablecloth for one of our six-foot tables. So come on out, if you will. And I've done this impromptu. Eclipse. People listen to me. Look at me right now. In two weeks, this is going to be developed. People who don't forgive the debt live in the shadow of failure. I just merged all the pieces of that story. I'll do better two weeks from now. They live in the shadow of failure and wonder why failure follows them around. That is because they leave the presence of the king and they have a worship orientation based on debt and failure rather than forgiveness and mercy. Can I tell you, okay, let me just do this. Black the lights, stand here and turn your back and do your Dracula thing. Now, hang right there. That is the light of God's grace. That is always God's desire to shine that on me. Is it on me? I don't see it shining on me. Why are you shining on him? On me. 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 Okay, great. See, I told you, this is impromptu. They, they, They don't know what I'm asking them to do, so bless their heart. Now, what I, Steve, what I want you to do in a moment, no, shine the light on me. The theological premise is God has no interest in shining the light on failure. The tearing of the veil proves that. Allow me just to say that without explaining that. He tore 
the biggest symbol of failure in half while he was on the cross. I'll talk more about that in two weeks, maybe. He doesn't want to shine light. Follow me. You stay there. You follow me with the light. So I walk through light. He wants to shine the light of grace on me. He wants to illuminate my life. And he will unless I do not forgive. If I do not forgive, if I do not release, and beloved, most pointedly, it starts with me. Peter couldn't forgive himself. He related to the king. He would come in and fall down on his face, and he wouldn't hear the king say, look, I don't want you worshiping me on the basis of debt and failure. I want you worshiping me on the basis of the provision of the king. Listen to me. The provision we've received is not a billion dollars. Paul writes about it and says he paid your debt on the cross. The cross was the payment of your debt. And he says, I want you relating to me on the basis of my power to pay, not your failure to owe. Do you get that? And we don't. What if we were those people that shifted that? But what happens when you do that? Now, you just follow me around and block the light. He just, the light is still shining on me. Follow me around and block the light. You move. Okay, here we go. Follow me around. So I'm walking over here. And see, I try to outrun it. I try. That, that's really good. But I can't outrun it. It casts a shadow. It follows me around. And instead of, now don't follow me this time. Give me your brother a break. Instead of following me around doing, I've got a new tormentor following me around. Matthew 18 says that. Thank you, Steve. Turn the lights on, please. Dan, come back out. Wow, I did good, time-wise, whether the substance of it got across or not. What I'm going to do two weeks from now is I'm going to have a cross here. I'm going to have the biggest paper shredder I can buy. And I'm going to have, everybody's going to receive a blank card and a pen when they come in along with everything else. Your friends that you're going to invite. And they're going to be delivered the same way you're going to be delivered right here today. They're going to take that card and hold the pen in their hand. They're going to put it to themselves. They're going to write the name or the event. And then they're going to walk before the cross and do what the cross did for our sins, and that is shred the debt. There's going to be a moment. There's a moment for you here today. There's a moment where you're going to leave and sing this song in a different place, a different way. I don't know that Peter really got this until after Jesus left, really, because he was still saying, what about them 11 years after the upper room? He didn't want to let white people in. And then he has a vision. He sent to Cornelius and he says, no, it's for Gentiles, it's for all the people. But I believe there came a moment when he goes, In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am.
stand to your feet. Don't talk to anybody. Don't move around. No one is going to want to do this. But I've asked God to make me the voice of mercy. And stalk you and torment you today. Who here could I pick on that would just have enough courage to say, dude, it seems like a shadow has followed me around to some extent. And I didn't know what it was until today. Just the first person. I hope it's somebody close because I need it. it, Okay, dude. Is there, come on, somebody, is there anybody here? Okay, good. I pick on you enough, Sally. So. Come here, sweetheart. No, she raised her hand. Stand right here in the middle. Come here, Brenda. I want you to tap right on her heart. I want you to hear the voice of the Spirit saying, Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, in your father's house, it's a place for you. You're a child of God. Father, I pray for her and her courage to do this before this body. Oh, my goodness. I pray. That, Father, the shadow would be lifted, that change would be broken. That, Father, in the name of Jesus, mercy just wouldn't be tapping on her heart, but it would live there and flow out from her this week, right now, in the name of the living God. So be it. Amen. Now, here's what I want to ask. I picked on one person. I don't ever do that because that is so exposing, and I am just humbled by what she just did. But you're here today. And you say, I'm not walking down front. Well, I'm not going to put you on the spot like that. I need prayer counselors and elders right down here right now. Come quick, please. We're going to pray this prayer that mercy would rule. That mercy would rule. That it wouldn't be just something you hear about from the lips of the king, but you would walk out with it in your possession. That shadow is going to be lifted off your life. Things are going to change in your home, your life, your marriage, your job, your stuff. There's not just adults here that are 50 or 40 or 60. There's teenagers here as well. There's a shadow over your life right now. And you know it. And God is saying, leave it here. Leave it here. If you're in this room today, and I've been talking to you, I just want you to move out from where you are and just give us the chance to pray with you, please, and join you in prayer right now and say, Father, may they hear mercy scream over the top of their life. Lift the shadow off of them right now in the name of Jesus. I know it takes courage. I get that. Hallelujah. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Thank you. Bless your heart. Bless you. Forget thank you. Bless you. You're not doing it for me. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. I praise you. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you, Coop, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you, sweetheart, in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, I love you and I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 If you're here today, now let me tell you, I know for a fact 
There's more people here. If you're scared to death, and I get that. I get that. We don't do this. Bless you. Hallelujah. Receive that in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't do this. We don't put people on the spot. Hallelujah. Beth, come right here and pray with us. Oh, you got somebody to pray with over there? Okay, good. Good. Great. I want you to pray with her, sweetheart. Thank you. This is important. This is important right now. Hallelujah. In a few minutes, just in a couple minutes, we're going to honor this moment. We're going to say amen. And there are people standing in this place that right now just the way we're doing this is so exposing. And I get that. I get that. I really do. I, I, but what I want to tell you, hallelujah, in Jesus' name. Bless you, sweetheart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for deliverance today in the name of Jesus. I pray for shadows to be listed, for the shadow of failure to be broken. Father, for us to release those, it starts this morning. We've got to release those, Lord. We have to say, I will not allow that person who hurt me to have the power over how I live and how I relate to my Father. I will not give them that power. I will not allow them to dictate what I know of worship in the name of the living God. And Father, for my precious brothers and sisters who are standing here today, Lord, paralyzed by even that reality to an extent that I can't do that. What will people think? Or uh, Lord, I just can't. Listen to me. Here's the next lie you're, whisper, you're listening to of the adversary. Everybody open your eyes and look at me. The lie you're listening to right now is... See, because you didn't move out of your seat and walk down front, you're getting nothing. All the devil does is lie. Jesus said that in John 8. That is a lying spirit. That is a lying spirit. Everyone here, bow your heads, close your eyes, put your hands down if you're worshiping. Put your hands down. I'm the only one looking around, not another person. Worship leaders, I'll bow your heads, please. You got you to gotta trust me here, guys. I don't know of a more important moment. I'm the only one looking around. That camera is on me, not on this crowd. If you're here today and say, dude, you don't get it. This thing weighs on me so heavy. I, I just don't even know that I feel like I can move here. I want you to just lift your hand in your head. I'm the only person looking around. You receive that in Jesus' name. The lie that made you freeze in place is a lie. It's the same lie as the other lie. You're a child of God. In your Father's house is a place for you. Right here, sweetheart. Lift your head and look at me. Right here, right in the front. Right. In your Father's house. I want to make eye contact with everybody here. Just raise your hand. Lift your head and look at me, please. In your Father's house is a place for you. You're a child of God. 
yes you are I don't want to miss anybody if I haven't looked at you and you raised your hand I want you to just please lift your hand again let me see you Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.